Most buyers know that they need to get some pre-purchase inspections done before they sign a contract. But sometimes agents put pressure on buyers to make an offer and seal the deal. What are the risks for buyers under these circumstances? Welcome to Your First Home Buyer Guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to move it along and become homeowners. But most importantly, it is for home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mum. And that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 45 years experience to share with you and bucket loads of stories and avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure you get unbiased and real information you can rely on. We've got loads of free tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll get access to our free webinar, How to Buy Your First Home with the Right Amount of Debt. You'll also find the holy grail of home buying education, Your First Home Buyer Guide, the online course of people who want to be educated home buyers. We have created this for you to help you get on the right path to home ownership for your first home and beyond. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You of course know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field who takes the time to understand your personal situation. We've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording. Things change rapidly. So always check with the relevant government authority or your trusted advisors to get the most up-to-date information. Today we're talking about how important it is to get your pre-purchase inspections and contract review done before you buy, even in the circumstances where you have to move fast or risk losing the property. And we have a guest expert for you today, Jenny Tonner, a conveyancer with over 30 years experience. She's based in Sydney and although she specialises in New South Wales property law, we'll be talking about a lot of principles that will apply no matter where you're buying. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jenny. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming back. Now, before we get stuck into the risks in not getting all of your pre-purchase inspections, can you firstly give us a brief rundown on what a conveyancer or a lawyer does for a property buyer? For a buyer, our main role is to minimise as much risk as possible for our buyer um, when they're purchasing a property. So there is risk in purchasing a property in that the contract doesn't um, disclose everything about the property. Um, the vendor's not upfront about what the works have been on the property. If it's a unit, what special levies or what the financial status is or what the defects may be in a property. Um, and it's up to us as the conveyancer to see the contract, know what to ask, ask the questions and get the answers to make sure that what they're buying is what they're seeing and it hasn't got any barnacles attached to it, which will come <laughs> back and bite them afterwards. That's our job. Um, I think Veronica it, um, described us really well once as the insurance policy <laughs> for buyers um, because the risk is in your contract and in your pre-purchase inspection reports. That's where your risk is. That's yep. where your main risk lies. So there's a lot of, we talk on this podcast and we explain to people the differences in terms of the, the sorts of documents that you'll get from the agent and from the vendor in different states and territories and it will vary. And Queensland, we know, 
the least amount of information in New South Wales, Victoria, probably it's the actually most. Actually, a change there, Veronica. Actually, we need to has it be gone really through? careful going forward. Yeah, so um, the Property Law Act has been updated and there is some seller disclosure. I've yet to get details. We will do an episode on that. Oh, finally. Yes. There is some disclosure coming in. Yeah. And we will definitely do an update list on that, which is fantastic. Yeah. So, um, but it's funny because I, I, just as an aside, I interviewed um, the head of the REIQ, uh, Antonia Mercarella, uh for the Elephant in the Room podcast. And it still, I reckon there's still areas where they could have done more, but they haven't. But oh, anyway, yeah. so it'd be great to know what got through. But the point I'm sort of raising there is that in different areas or different states and territories, you're going to get different amount of information. And and the principles that Jenny's talking about here is what's missing, um, what you expect is going to be given to you versus what actually is given to you and um, where that risk lies. So two things before you sort of kick on and, and sort of give us, I guess, I presume you're going to give us some examples, Jenny. Um, there's two different roles of a conveyancer. You know, my understanding is that Budget, cheap, cut price conveyances basically don't do anything until you've signed and then they just worry about the actual transaction part of it, the conveyancing of title from one owner to another, whereas really what we talk about people need to be thinking about when they're engaging a conveyancer or a property lawyer is that they want advice before they get to that point of the, the technical conveyance, right? So... That's something that someone like you, Jenny, has been around for a long time and really does understand what these risks are. You can look for things and notice what's missing and all the rest of it, whereas a lot of other solicitors or even those cut price conveyances, they may not even have been in the business long enough to know or they just don't charge enough really to actually do the, the searches. So do you want to sort of just tease that out for us so we can get a better understanding of the difference in understanding of what a conveyancer really does? Well, I think you've nailed it on the head. When I, I mean, I started over 30 years ago and someone wanting to buy a property would never enter into anything without speaking to their conveyance or solicitor first. But the way properties are sold now is different. It's very different. The speed in which agents now create a possible sale and purchase and the way they dictate the timing and trying to get a contract exchange has completely changed the way people see the importance of what they're entering into in terms of a contract for sale and completing their due diligence. Now, in New South Wales, and I'm pretty sure it's in every other state, um, you must satisfy yourself and complete your due diligence before you sign and enter into the contract in relation to its state of repair and condition, in relation to looking at strata records and seeing what's in the strata report what's in the accounts what are the what's the history of defects what are repairs what are repairs coming um and you must do that before you enter into a contract because the new south wales contract says once you sign the contract that's how you buy it even though you've got a right for a final inspection that's only to fix something that may have broken um between exchange and settlement if there's something like a special levy that's been raised post exchange, you're, you know, these are the things that a good quality experienced conveyancer looks for, amends your contract to cover you off. Now, I know for a fact that the cut price conveyancing firms do not give you that advice. They come on once you've exchanged 
and they do the transactional work. Because once you exchange, it's just all process and you're involving in banks. And I've received clients that have come to me where they've used those cut price people either on a previous transaction or they've exchanged. They can never contact anyone. A lot of those cut price are offshore. And so they can never speak to someone on a phone. They can only get automated responses from emails. Um, and I just think this is your biggest asset, your biggest asset in your life for the majority of people. And you want to know that your asset is protected. So you may pay more for that, but you're paying more to get what you need to give you that comfort that you're protected when you're buying that property. The insurance policy, as, as you you quite rightly pointed, pointed yeah. out, um, and, and I will just sort of pick up on that. Um, of course, what you're talking about there is when someone makes an unconditional offer. There are states where you can make yeah. a conditional offer where you'd sign a contract subject to certain due diligence that's clearly outlined in the, in the offer. So just differentiating there between an unconditional yeah. offer and a conditional offer, which has a different process. Yeah, but you've still got a conditional contract subject to you completing the due diligence. So when you go unconditional, you've satisfied yourself. Mm. You've done it all. So you've got to make sure you do it. But the, there's a good reason to get a conveyance or a lawyer involved before you sign that conditional contract because mm -hmm. you've got to get the wording right, don't the you, wording on those right. conditions. Yeah. You do. And this is really important where you've got cooling off contracts because how many times has an agent approached a purchaser saying, you know that you get offered a cooling off contract, 99% of the time the agent will say, yep, just sign the contract today. Your conveyancer will be able to negotiate changes in the cooling off period. Yes, I am entitled to ask for changes during the cooling off period, but the vendor has no obligation to agree to anything once you've signed the contract. So yes, I have the right to ask. I have very little chance of getting changes. So for my clients, I will say, yep, we can enter into a cooling off contract, but I need to look at your contract first. Because and Jenny, the risk to the buyer then, if they do that, can, the risk to the buyer is, if there's something there that you see after they've signed this contract with a cooling off period, uh, remembering this is not a conditional contract based, you know, based on building and pest inspection or finance, but if they do terminate during that cooling off period, they're up for some some penalties, aren't they? They're up for cooling off, and particularly mm. first time buyers, it's a lot of money. That's a couple of grand. That's not money that people can throw around. Um, and so I will always say. Let me look at your contract first, and I'll and I'll stop the agent from doing it, and they'll get very flustered about it. Again, they are just focusing on a sale, yeah. a committed sale, because they cannot guarantee their commission until that contract's dated. As soon as that contract's dated, even if it's a calling off contract, they are guaranteed their commission. That's all that they're interested in, and that's their job. My job is to make sure that what you're signing is what I would be happy for you to sign. So let's talk about the pre-purchase inspections because there's obviously other due diligence. I mean, look, we go th through all of the due diligence you need to do in your first home by guide, just so you know, people. Uh, and there's a lot more that we believe you should do outside of even what a conveyance or a lawyer does. So, but that's, that's, so what we want to talk here is about what you should be able to expect that a conveyance or a lawyer will um, assist you with 
And I know, for example, um, when people say to me, oh, well, how do I find a good building pest inspector in my area? One of the things that conveyances and lawyers often have is a list of building and pest inspectors and strata report providers that they know and trust. Is that still the case, Jenny, or is the aggregators yeah, got hold of it? Yeah, definitely. But again, I go back to the speed in which real estate agents now try and sell a property. And so what's developed over the last 10 years is they'll the agent will get the vendor to pay for a pest and building report or a strata report. The agent will use their preferred inspector and they will make it available to the purchaser um, to look at. Now, again, agents will say, here's a copy of the report we did. Um, so just have a look at that and satisfy yourself. Everything's okay. It's you can't risky, rely isn't it? on that report unless you buy the report. You have no legal relationship with that inspector. So if that inspection report had failed to disclose, say, termites were eating the, you know, the, the subfloor piers or there was a special levy due for the replacement of the roof, unless you buy that report, you can't sue the inspector for not disclosing something because you've relied on that report to enter into the contract. So that's very important. When an agent offers you a copy of a of a pre-purchase inspection report, make sure that you can buy it and uh, and buy it. You need to buy Have it. Have it ass assigned to you yeah, in, in some cases. so that cases. it can be assigned to you. Yeah, that's very important. But it's we look at the reports in terms of, say, for a house, we'll look to see if there's any reference to what could be non-complying work. Um, owner-builder work that should have been council approved. We'll look at um, whether there's active termite or wood decay and what's being done. Things that may be broken, like light fittings or uh, window frames or windows or just, um, things like that where we have an ability before exchange of contracts to say, we want the vendor to fix this and fix that fix the dishwasher, fix the light fitting that's broken, fix the window pane that's broken, and you put that in as a clause in your contract as a condition of completion. Once you exchange, you have no right to ask for that. Even on a final inspection, if they existed at the time you entered into the contract, you cannot ask the vendor to fix that before completion. You've got to negotiate it, which is why you have to do it before you sign a contract. With a strata report, the most important thing is uh, to make sure there's enough money in the accounts, particularly the Capital Works Fund account, to make sure that if there is proposed works or current works being done, that there's sufficient money in that account to cover the cost. Um, whether they're talking about um, raising special levies for um, more defects that have not been recouped from the original builder. So that's a liability on all owners in Estrada. That is a reality. We, we know this in, with a lot of buildings built over the last, what, 15 years. Um, and you've got to know these things so you can not only sort of decide whether you want to buy, but if you still want to buy so that you can factor what price you want to buy it at and base your pricing around that. That's very important because you might still want to um, buy the unit and know that there's going to be a $5,000 special levy next year, but therefore you're going to 
feel more satisfied if you can negotiate the price down to cover that expense. Yeah. And that's your power before exchange of contracts. Alternatively, um, you might not be able to because there might be other buyers into it, but at least then you think, okay, well, I'm not going to compete too hard on that one because I know something they may not know. So that's the thing too, that sometimes when you've got more than one buyer on a property, you might be furnished with more information and sometimes it might feel like a bit of a disadvantage to you because you oh, know sometimes. more than they do and you're missing out because of that. But at the same time, you think, how much worse is it when you buy a property and then a month down the track, you discover this stuff that you could have known about. We've, we've done a lot of um, these sort of deconstruction episodes on on stories that have hit the news, yeah. you know, and we go through, well, what could they have known before they bought the property that they didn't know because they didn't know what to look for? And a lot of it would be uncovered if they had a good conveyancer or lawyer working on their on their behalf before they committed themselves to the property or even before they made an offer because a lot of people make an offer and then they want to backtrack. And <laughs> that's even harder to do that once you found out stuff. I'd much prefer a client contact me when they're thinking of putting an offer in and getting them in a position where they can put an unconditional offer in because then I know that they can exchange unconditionally and go. That is the most attractive offer you can present. You know that you've already done it, you're all ready to go, but you've got to realise you've got to spend some money in order to do that. And it, I know it gets expensive with pest and building reports and strata reports when you miss out, but... I've just got too many examples where people will not go and buy a pest and building or they will not go and buy a strata report because they don't want to pay for it and then they just cop it afterwards. First yeah. type buyers where they relied on a strata report for a, another unit in the building which the agent sold 12 months before and they looked at that and relied on that strata report, which was over a year old. Oh, that dear. nothing. And she got hit with a $75,000 special levy. Whoa. There was 12 months of information months missing. after she bought it. She was a first-time buyer who bought a unit in St. Leonard's. And there was nothing I could do. Nothing I could do for her. I think that you could have if you'd yeah, had that information yeah, from, I would or had that conversation with her. rely on a contract for another unit in the same building, even if it was current. I, you just can't because you can't buy it and rely on it legally. It's mm. got to be for the unit you buy. There's a great tip there, Jenny. Uh, I hope everyone heard that. Don't rely on the report, the strata report from another unit, even in the same complex. No, what I'll do is I'll ring that inspection company and say, can you give me one for this unit based on the information you've already got at a discounted rate? And we'll get it done that way. So at least it's for the unit and the one they can buy and rely on it. And they already know where the information is and how to gather it and, and uh, so exactly they're right. part way there. Because yeah. so, oh, they've probably already got, got the record. Um, and this is the other thing that's making it really hard for conveyancing is being able to get access to strata records. <laughs> now, you know, post-COVID, they're still using that COVID excuse of you can't come and visit the office, we're just going to give you access and down with what we download. And, you know, I'm now on the Institute Board of Conveyancing and it's one of my pet goals is trying to, this period of due diligence needs to come back to a more realistic time frame 
And we also need as an industry to justify our fees because you've talked about the cut price conveyancing and it just kills our industry Mm. because people see what other people earn on a conveyance and measure our value accordingly. (laughs) Yet biggest risk and my biggest risk as a conveyancer um, is far greater than anyone else involved in the conveyance transaction. So you mentioned earlier, Jenny, about unapproved works, and this is something that does come up a lot, certainly in our campfires. We do a weekly campfire where our students come along and they bring us the properties that they're looking at at the moment, and it's so common. They say, but, you know, there's got unapproved works. So you go, first thing, we're like, well, what's been unapproved? Let's let's start going through that. And, you know, I'm sure you come across it all the time, but I've also come across lawyers and conveyances who are not particularly thorough and diligent who don't seem to even notice. And it's so important that, you know, you bring it up with your your chosen legal professional. Um, but what are some of the things that can go wrong if people buy a property without proper approvals in place for works that have been done? Um, well, council can issue an, or a notice over the property asking you to remove that studio that's been installed in the back that's got a, a bathroom and a kitchen sink. Um, that was never lodged for approval with council to begin with. That's a significant decrease in value of your property. Yeah. Um, and the obligation is on you. Um, it might be they've t- converted the garage into like a, a guest accommodation um, and they've gotten rid of the garage door and put windows in. Same thing. You know, you suddenly don't have a four-bedroom home. You have a three-bedroom home in the garage. Yeah. <laughs> and it all comes down to the value. It could be with a unit, it could be they've knocked down a wall and opened up the kitchen living room area, but that may have been a structural wall and they haven't complied with the bylaws, to, uh, which is with every unit now, uh, minor, minor and major renovations. They must get consent of strata to anything like that that they do, even putting down floorboards and ripping up carpet. They must get consent to do that. But some people just think, oh, I don't need to do this. Yes, it's internal. No one will know. I, I, yeah, it's fine. I don't need to do this. I'm not going to. It's within my four walls. But if you don't put down the floorboards properly and the acoustic, you know, underneath it and your neighbour starts complaining about the amount of noise you're suddenly making because you put down these lovely floorboards, Strata can absolutely come back and you say, sorry, take them back up mm. and apply consent and you will then be given um, consent with conditions which you must comply with before you can put down new floorboards. Um, so these are the things like um, when I review a contract, most of the time I can see the agent's advertisement and I'll go through and look at all the pictures and I can see what something's newer than something else in the house. So that looks like a renovation. They may have converted the attic. That's mm. another classic example where they've converted the attic in a terrace or a semi and haven't got consent to do it. That's a livable space that they've created. Um, and I ask the questions, show us council consent for that. Um, You'd be fairly experienced to do that, Jenny, because I, I know that um, some conveyancing firms and particularly young, new, newer to the industry um, are not going to even look at the ad and ask questions. It, they rely on the buyer to ask the questions of the conveyancer 
And and that's a risky proposition when that buyer is, you know, in a lot of cases buying their first property. So they you know, don't know what to look they for. They don't I mean, know what they don't the, know. I'll check the list of inclusions against the pictures. Mm-hmm. 99% of the time people miss the ceiling fans. <laughs> but you want ceiling fans, right? Are you want air conditioning that gets mixed. Ceiling fans, um, shutters, yeah, blinds. Um, there might be a built-in barbecue out the back, which isn't listed. You want the built-in barbecue to remain, um, that which, you know, is not necessarily a fixture. <laughs> be moved. Brand of dishwasher is one that comes up sometimes. Yeah. And people swap out a, a meal a for a testing yeah. house. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know it's funny, the amount of times when I, when I was a sales agent in particular, and you come across people saying, I want to keep the dishwasher. Why? Because Arnie Beryl gave it to me for our wedding. It's like, <laughs> you're kidding me. It's a dishwasher. <laughs> yeah, you, you'd be amazed. I, I, personally, I think you have to be quite, um, you have to be quite sort of deep down in that. And that, again, that makes it hard because you're going to 15 minutes inspections and you can't do it. So that at least helps them if I pick up something and say, can you confirm these are here? And if they can't, then they'll ask to have another inspection done yeah. so they can check. But it's those things because, again, the inclusions are as at the date you enter into the contract. So you want to make sure when you do a final inspection that that lovely chandelier in the dining room is still there, the dishwasher's there, the chef's oven stove is still there you know things like that you'd be amazed what people will take i've seen i've seen nice light fittings be removed and those rice paper blinds (laughs) the rice paper light fittings you put in yeah (laughs) you got them in Chinatown for god's sake like you know they're yeah always a light amazed and commercial property is even worse because they don't know what um, what is owned by the landlord and what's owned by the tenant yeah. I and mean, I sold a commercial uh, premises years ago, 30 years ago, and it came to settlement and they did a final inspection and the staircase from the ground to the mezzanine had gone <laughs> because that was a tenant. The tenant put it in and the tenant took it. That is phenomenal. I haven't heard of an access point being you changed. Just, these are the things you learn over many years, right? You, you learn from all of this and you learn to ask the questions. I think we're all a similar vintage here and, and the, the the intro to this podcast for regular listeners will know we say we're old enough to be your mum. Yes. So, and, and it does. I mean, it, it's, it's slightly tongue-in-cheek, but at the same time, when you've been around the traps enough, you do start to learn, oops, that's that. that There's a flag there we, we need to investigate. Yeah, yeah. We need to bolt yeah. that one down. <laughs> but that experience is, has value. You know, yes, it's of course. very valuable. It is. It is because it, it pr- protects your risk. Yeah, it absolutely does. And people who have less experience, I'm not saying they've just got less experience, they could be just as good, but it also comes down to um, what their mentoring has been, what yeah. their experience has come from. Um, and you need to you need to be comfortable with it. Um, I, I personally would prefer to pay more for someone who had the experience and the knowledge because, you know, you're protected rather than paying a $500 fee and never being able to speak to them. I don't understand that thinking. I think the thinking comes from not truly understanding what a conveyancer should be doing for you. And it's it's from not understanding the risk. 
that you're taking. And so that's one thing that we're at great pains to educate first home buyers on is that you buy your first home well, you do it right, then you are setting yourself an amazing foundation for your financial future. Yeah. Whereas if you get it wrong, you can totally derail your financial future uh, or you can get stuck in the same place forever. I mean, or, or worst case scenario, if you get a $75,000 special levy you weren't expecting as a first home buyer, you might be forced to sell. Yeah. Which would be terrible to think that you've all the sacrifices you've made to get yourself into the property ladder, into the property market, and then something that was absolutely discoverable and avoidable um, has derailed you. And so that's why we educate first home buyers because we recognize the importance of that. But obviously, that's why we bring you along, Jenny, to talk about this so that people can really understand the difference between just someone who ticks a few boxes. And, you know, and, and lines up the banks and stuff at the end of the deal to actually look at a lawyer or a conveyance or somebody who needs to be part of your team at the outset. So part of your team to advise you before you commit to a property, before you make an offer even. Um, and that's why we want to talk sh- to you today. And they should be explaining all of the stuff I'm explaining to you so you understand it. Now, in that case of that first home buyer with the strata, she had looked at that unit 12, block, 12 months before and missed out on it. So the wow. agent approached her and said, I've got another one identical in the units about to come off, come on the market. Do you want it? She wanted it. Yeah. So the agent said, well, here's the strata court from a year ago. You know, let's go. Signed the contract. Um, I think got like a family friend to do the 66W and then contacted me saying, oh, guess what? I bought a property last night. Here, oh. right? And then that's what happened. Now, she's got no recourse against the agent there, mm-hmm. none at all. And because I didn't act for her prior to exchange, she looked to for recourse with me, but she couldn't. Yeah. Um, and that's really important to a first-home buyer. Mm. You've got to have someone who's giving you that advice. And if they're not, do you want to, you know, do you want to run that risk one? But do you want to find out later that your conveyance lawyer has put you in a position where you've now got to sue them? And go through months and months of that. Uh, when really don't want that. You just don't want that. You want your purchase to be exciting. You're looking at it in terms of this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to create. I'm going to make it my place. And this is going to be the stepping stone for me to buy another place in five years, another an investment property in five years, whatever. It's the stepping. It's the stepping. Stepping you know, stone. So, so the yeah. ladder that you want to go on. Yes. And, and, yeah, if you've got the right advice around you with your mortgage broker, with your conveyancer, with your buyer's agent, then you're set. And, it, and it's a good point about building a team. I, I guess, Jenny, every jurisdiction has a conveyance protocol in each each state has conveyance protocol. And that's basic, those really basic boxes that your legal representative has to tick. Now, we're not talking about any difference in those sorts of activities because every every lawyer has to follow that conveyance protocol in the, in the state. We're actually talking about people who go above and beyond the basics of ticking the box of what they have to do as opposed to knowing the extra things that need to be done or identifying the red flags and making a proactive um, review and assessment and advice for someone that isn't just ticking the box of the minimum requirements for the conveyance. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a that's a big red alert, to be honest with you. And if someone's saying, I'll look at the contract, but I won't look at the Peston building or the strata report, 
they're saying that because they know they're at risk if they miss something. <laughs> the biggest risk for a conveyancer is in those pre-purchase inspection reports. Right. Um, and not being able to get answers from the vendor prior to exchange because of that speed requirement that agent set. Um, and so I know some do that and they'll qualify their advice around that. I can't question that because you don't know what to look for in those reports. So you've got to have someone who does know what to look for, look at them for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Strata report, that's for sure. Yeah. What um, we're, t- we're talking about pre-purchase inspections, but I think it's really important also that we outline what's not included in some pre-purchase inspections. Now, I know, you know, having followed building and pest inspectors around in Queensland for 20 years, I know that they don't, they exclude things like plumbing inspection because that's not their area of expertise. Certain elements of electrical inspections, they might make a comment on the presence of a safety switch but won't comment about whether it works or it's adequate or sufficient for the property you know air conditioners loose handles delaminating cabinets there are a lot of exclusions in these reports so how pool. What's, what's pool inspections pool inspections is and retaining walls outside the, you know in the engineering garden. advice you know yeah. there's, there's a lot that's not included um, so, Jenny, when you're providing advice to, to buyers having um, looked at some of these pre-purchase inspections, um, w- what are the other things that they should be thinking about if time permits? Um, well, if I've seen some reports that come in and the first 10 pages of the report are <laughs> the limitations on liability, <laughs> right? So, you've got to remember that these reports are visual reports. That's all they're going to be able to do, visual reports. Um, so they will exclude things like that. They should be looking at a pool, to be honest with you, particularly if there's no pool certificates in a contract, they should be looking at that. Um, you should be instructing them to look at it if there is a. Then if with a house, I would always want my inspector to try and go under the house to see what the ventilation's like because that's where, you know, the termites are at their happiest. Um and if they're not doing that, again, if they can get access from outside, but if they can't, they can't pull up floorboards to get access. That's the problem. It's not your property yet. It still belongs to the vendor. So yes. there is limitations there. I would probably say electrical, um, if it's an older home, electrical. Um, again, plumbing, if it's, if it's an older home. But again, it comes down to the time that you've got to do it and you know 20 30 years ago you would have had that time to do it but it just that's not the way the market runs now yeah and the risk is put on you the purchaser um and i will have to qualify that well the inspector i use um i've been using him for 20 years and i know without a doubt if he sees something that he thinks that should be raised whether it's a um you know, like a balcony, the fence of a balcony that the balcony uh, might not Balustrade. be covered. He'll say mm-hmm. that's that this is not to code, and you'll ask why is this not to code. Um, he'll say things like that, but this is where it comes down to: do you rely on the vendor vendor agent's report that is given you, or do you go get your own independent one? I would always recommend go get your own independent one 
Uh, you recommend that too. And but as you say, it's really difficult under tight oh, circumstances. Yeah. And certainly, certainly in my buyers agency business, when we're dealing in in an area, there's one particular building inspector that we know the the reports by this inspector are very, very thin on detail. Like he will not get up in ruse and I've been in the house and I'm going, there's the manhole. Don't know why he didn't go through that. <laughs> there's the manhole on the floor, that the hatch in the floor, he didn't go down there. Um, hasn't hasn't discovered a whole bunch of things. So we would never rely on that particular inspector's report because we know that re- that inspector, but from an individual buyer is quite difficult because you you do have to sort of start to work out well which ones are reliable and there's no Australian standard for the report, correct? Right. And same with strata reports. So that does make it very difficult for um, for buyers and particularly first home buyers. And it's another reason why I think getting that experienced support in terms of your conveyance is really important because it's just an extra opportunity to see where red flags are that you may not even notice. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, ideally, in an ideal world, which my industry has been talking about, we would want that report attached to the contract as a (laughs) document so that a vendor has it's a vendor disclosure and the vendor has to stick by that report. So then those reports would have to be sound. Right. You know, okay, but it's easy it. money for inspectors. It's just such easy money. They it do is, isn't it? Report, and then they'll have 10 buyers buy it at a discounted rate and they've probably made three grand off one two-hour inspection. It's easy money. We're in the wrong business, Megan. Maybe we are, Veronica, but <laughs> we are here to educate people. <laughs> So that they know the right questions to ask of the right people at the right time. And I think, Jenny, you have just revealed so much about, you know, that reinforces when to talk to a conveyancer about what and what information to share so that you are getting a really good holistic view of the property before you sign uh, either an unconditional contract or exchange unconditionally. And I think that's very, very important. Of course, keeping in mind that in different states you can do conditional contracts subject to uh, clauses, but we're mainly talking about New South Wales here today. But yeah. even so, even with those conditional contracts, you know, we're, we're re-emphasising for you the importance to get that legal advice before you even enter into one of those because you want to make sure you get those conditions right and all the other things checked as well. So it's really, really important, no matter how it is that the legal nuts and bolts of how you actually secure a property that to understand these principles really to apply. Now, we have a guest question. We ask every guest that comes on the podcast this, oh, Jenny. You're right. What is the one thing that you know now that you wish you knew as a first home buyer? Not to be influenced by what the agent tells me and stick to my own brain and my own gut and do what I need to do to make sure it's the house I want. Um, that's the most important thing for me because when I bought my first home, I, I'm i a conveyancer, you know. I did my own conveyancing, but the agent just went, oh, isn't this amazing? And I just went along with it because it ticked on my boxes. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I probably didn't do anywhere near as much as I should have because I just was influenced so much by the estate agent in terms of how great it was but how many other buyers were wanting it and I needed to act today. 
Social there proof and urgency. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I I am such so gung ho about it to my clients, and I didn't do it for myself because, and I totally understand. It gave me great understanding from the other side, or yeah. of the client side of what they were facing, the psychology of um, it, and realizing, okay, well, then I need to really explain to them why they need to call me at that point. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I was, I was my own worst enemy. And then oh, lovely one to share. for levies for the first two years of my. Oh, no. So it, not only, it wasn't like you got away, scot free and just lucky. You actually, it cost you. It did cost me, yeah, because um, again, I wasn't able to dig into the strata report as much as I wanted to. But in the, at the end of the day, I wanted the place so much, I relied on the agent saying, no, everything's fine. It's nothing to worry no. about. Oh, I that, love that. Yeah. You know, and they do. I hear them say it all the time, things like that. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I, I often pull them up. I said, "Look, with all due respect, you can't say that. Like, have you read the Strata report? No, they have don't. you checked the I records don't. yourself? They don't read it. No, they don't read it. Most of them, I would say, ninety ninety nine percent don't. And then they can, because if they don't know, Veronica, they haven't. They got don't to have share to it. tell you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they and don't have to tell you. And that is head in the sand, honestly. That is the position that an agent does want to be in because their job is to sell the property for the highest price to any buyer. And it's buy beware. And it's, it's on buy you beware. people. It's on you to work this stuff out. So that's why uh, all this conversation we're having today is so important. So thank you so much, Jenny. Really appreciate you coming back. We did no, talk to you. Thank you very much. A long time ago. So we'll put the link in the show notes to your previous episode with us because there's more gold in that as well. There is and indeed. we really appreciate your time. You're most welcome. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me again. In this episode, we've only touched on a tiny part of the huge amount of things you need to know to become an educated first home buyer. There is so much more for you to do. You can learn all of the steps in the right order and avoid all of the mistakes that others have made in our 10-step online course for first home buyers. If you'd like to learn more about the right process and avoid making rookie errors, become an educated home buyer. Head over to the website, check out your first home buyer guide, the course that we have created for you. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you've liked what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. It helps other people find us. And of course, I know it's a bit cringy, but we're going to ask for five stars. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with more priceless stuff.